Hey everyone, welcome to the Ben Again Podcast. This is episode 7. Before every episode, you don't hear this part, but before every episode I do a sound check. And what I say in the sound the sound check is like, I don't know, 5 to 10 seconds of just whatever comes to mind. And usually it's something stupid like, how now, brown cow? Or, uh, you know, some sort of thing like Ron Burgundy does in the movie, uh, what fucking movie was that? Anchorman, yeah. It's just usually something stupid. Something that I can quickly say and then play again to know that the audio is acceptable because you should always check that. You don't just assume that the audio is going to sound good even if you're doing the same thing that you've done in the past. Sort of like how you don't just assume that your car is going to run the moment you start it even if you you know drove it two days ago. You always need to make sure that you're prepared for things. And that's what I do. I do that to avoid looking stupid. I would not want to upload an hour-long podcast and then find out that the audio was a bit off. And so I thought I would share with you real quick what I used as a sound check, just randomly, because I I don't choose one. I just say whatever. I'll click record and then start saying something and be like, okay, that's my sound check. I don't have it planned. And uh, I don't know if I'm ashamed to admit this or not, but this is what I said in the last sound check before I started this. I click start. Okay, click start. Black people run really fast up mountains. And then after I clicked pause, I was like, what the fuck? Where did that where did that even come from? I suppose it's because I was just watching clips of the Winter Olympics, and then I was, you know, thinking other Olympics, like black people. They pretty much own anything that involves speed. So that's what came out of my brain. And that is a little inside, you know, a little insight into how my brain works. So um, I apologize for being such a douche. I think I have uh, cabin fever. I've been stuck inside for like five months now, still out of work from the back surgery. I get sick of talking about it. I get sick of uh, even, you know, I'm I'm sick of this this feeling, this sort of, I'm 90 years old in a 28-year-old body. I'm still recovering from something that the doctors have no answer for. I don't even want to talk about that, but that's where I'm at. And since it's, you know, at best... 15 degrees outside, I'm inside most of the time. And what I realize is I'm starting to lose sort of, sort of the, uh, the fluidity that I used to live with on a daily basis. And that goes for physically and mentally and emotionally. If you don't use it, you lose it, as they say. Well, since I have spent the majority of this winter indoors, like wake up, do something, play some games, watch some TV, whatever, as long as I'm laying down so it doesn't hurt, because that's how people with chronic back pain live, then I'm like, okay, I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep. And what did I accomplish in that day? Well, I woke up, I ate some food, I watched some shit, I laid on the couch, I got up, I maybe did some shoulder exercises with the weights, because that doesn't hurt, and then I lay down and do some more of that, and then I go to bed, and then I repeat. And it's been that way for five or six months. It's not the way I'm accustomed to living. I used to be very active and I used to work a minimum of 40 hours a week and still maintain that sort of lifestyle. So I'm really not used to this welfare living style where people don't do shit every day. Every day is a Saturday, like I've mentioned before. I My body's not made for this. My mind isn't made for this. I'm like a caged bird. I need to get out there but I, uh, it's just, I got this disability and there's nothing I can do about it. I've tried everything and it's really disheartening. Is that a word? Disheartening? It's demotivating. It's demoralizing knowing that this could be a forever thing unless something changes. But what I notice is <laughs> you don't use it, you lose it. And that goes for communication skills. I don't see people as much because I'm not going to work every day saying this, you know, talking to people, saying hello. You know, I don't see a whole lot of people and I don't talk to a whole lot of people in person. So if you don't use it, you lose it. Today I called HR Block to schedule an appointment to file my taxes. And it's like I forgot how to talk to people. It was kind of funny actually because Taylor was in the room. And I called the guy and I said, yeah, um, could I get in anytime soon to file my taxes? And then I realized how stupid that question was because that's what they do. They file taxes. So, I mean, yes is the answer. I don't need to ask. And then I was like, oh yeah, um, I mean like soon, huh. could I could I do it soon? 
And the guy kind of laughed, like, who's this douche? Yeah, of course you can. That's kind of what we do. You're not calling a grocery store here. You're calling a tax company. And, uh, yeah, let's, uh, hold on a second. Let's get you figured out. And I said, okay. <laughs> you know? And he goes, uh, what days work best for you? And I said, well, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And he goes, okay. Have you been here before? I said, yeah. And I'm starting to think, wow, he's asking me a bunch of questions. I wasn't ready for this. And then <clears throat> he goes, yeah, um, we can get you in uh, on Monday the 19th at 2. How does that sound? And I said, great, thanks. Okay, talk to you later. And he goes, well, no, um, I need more information than just, yeah, if that works. I need to know who you are. And I was like, huh, oh, yeah, I forgot. That's part of this process, too, is I have to give you my phone number, my name, my social security, all that stuff. I can't just say, yeah, thanks, that works. You don't know who I am? I'll be there. I'm a killer. I'm going to show up. Be ready. And he, <laughs> he laughed. And I said, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I guess it's been a while since I've been a real person. You know, that's, uh, that's an experience in my life. I don't know if you've been there because you, pr you probably haven't. If you're the average person, you've likely not had this many surgeries and you've likely not been laid up for this long. So you don't know what it's like to lose the ability to even be normal and talk with people. But that happened. And he, he audibly laughed on the phone like this guy. And I, I kind of laughed too uh, because he was laughing. I was like, yeah, I get it. I'm a douche. In other news, um, I drank yesterday. I drank with my girlfriend, Taylor. And we wanted to watch one of my favorite movies of all time, The Shawshank Redemption. And uh, we just started slamming shots. Now, we stopped drinking mixed drinks a while ago because that's too slow. And then you drink a bunch of pop and it's all these unnecessary calories. What we do is we fill the shot glass anywhere from half to you know full. And then we do a shot and we take a little drink of pop with it. So you end up drinking way more alcohol than pop. And that makes it, one, mean you get drunk faster. And two, it makes it better because you don't drink as many you know calories and you don't have as much caffeine it's more alcohol serves its purpose much better you know you drink to get buzzed or drunk you don't drink to feel like you have to pee eight times <clears throat> but yesterday it was one of those times where no matter how much I drank I didn't feel it so I just kept drinking and alcohol hits you differently every time sometimes you can take two shots or have the equivalent of that, which would be one mixed drink, or, you know, just a little bit, and your body immediately is like, whoa, this is alcohol, and you feel like it hits you instantly, and you just know, like, okay, I already feel good. I don't need to have much more. But in this case, as is, you know, the case once in a while, I drank a little bit yesterday, and I didn't feel anything, so I had another shot, didn't feel anything, so on and so forth. All of a sudden, I've had, like, eight shots, and I'm like, wow, I don't even feel drunk. And then I realized, well, I did have baked potatoes with sausage gravy on top so I'm then I'm realizing okay well the reason I'm not feeling this right away is obviously because I don't have an empty stomach I have literally a sponge in my stomach which is mashed potatoes and it's absorbing all this alcohol and so although it takes longer it's still the same amount of alcohol that I have consumed and it's gonna hit me and then you know after a couple shots later we're watching this movie the Shawshank Redemption and it just hits me. I'm like, wow, I am plastered. The room was spinning. I'm laying down and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this could have been avoidable if I would have just been like, you know, I realized that I just ate. And so three shots is three shots, whether you've eaten recently or you have not. It's just how quickly it hits you and how hard it hits you. That's the difference. And so I'm laying there and I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is almost too much. It's like we have a certain level of alcohol that we can drink and a certain level of weed that we can smoke and a certain level of, you know, you name it, insert here, a certain level of this and that's within our comfort zone. And then beyond that, where we're not fully in control, it starts to give you like a, not necessarily an anxiety attack, but you just kind of, it hits you and you realize, wow, I am not really in control here. I'm super fucked up. It just kind of hits you and you go, oh my God. And that's that very experience can instill either, depending on the person, a panic attack where you go, oh my God, this is not comfortable. I don't like this. And then your heart rate goes up and you start to go, oh my God, I feel like I'm dying. Oh my gosh. If you've ever had an anxiety or panic attack, you realize how this is. And it mostly happens when you get too high, not really too drunk because alcohol is kind of a, a depressant. It's an alcohol, you know, it's a downer. And so when you get too drunk, 
you can just kind of tell your body like ah we we're fucked up just you know pass it off we're done we're down we can just lay down and chill but when you get too high it's very different if you've never been too high you don't know what i'm talking about it's where you can go from being chill and stoned and just relaxing to oh my god i don't like this I, I overdid it, and I feel like I could have a heart attack right now. And then as soon as it, you, you, know, you realize that, that you're not in control, and you're just kind of along for the ride, and the weed is in control, you start to go, oh shit. And then your heart rate goes up, which is normal. I mean, in the first 20 minutes of smoking ganja, that's actually a physiological reaction that your body has. Your heart rate increases. And if you're thinking about that, you can be ready for that and be prepared for that. But if you're not thinking about that, it just hits you and you realize, oh, I'm fucked up. I don't feel right. I don't feel normal. I'm going to die. And that's how people overreact and have anxiety attacks. Well, yesterday, since, you know, this was alcohol and not ganja, I didn't have an anxiety attack. I just, you know, I kind of accepted it and let it go. This is not my first rodeo. I've been super fucked up before. I've been so fucked up that I thought I was in hell. And this is... Not an exaggeration, I thought I was actually tripping and experiencing what it was like to be in hell. I guess there's a story that goes along with this, so I will oblige. <clears throat> I was at the University of South Dakota. If you've listened to my previous podcasts, you kind of know how that goes. Um, it's, uh, it's in a city called Vermilion, South Dakota. It's where the University of South Dakota, USD, University of Sex and Drugs, is located. And I was a freshman. And this is a very vivid memory, very distinct, and it was one of the worst nights, the scariest nights of my life. Up until this point, I had drank many times, I had smoked many times, I had drank and drank, <laughs> I had drank and smoked many times, so I felt like I was this party animal. Well, I go over to this dude's house, right, and uh, he has his own place because he's a senior, and because I'm such a bad motherfucker, I was hanging out with older college students, not just freshmen. I ended up meeting this guy named Brandon. Last names are not important. I met him through my girlfriend at the time, Ashley. And we smoked codeine blunts, which, I mean, they kind of gave me a headache and made me sick, but they didn't really, you know, fuck you up as much as you would expect. That's where you take a Swisher Sweet, dump out the tobacco, replace it with ganja, seal it with saliva, you know, use the lighter to dry it so that it hardens and it's once again in a cigar-type shape, except it's ganja instead of tobacco. And then we rolled, or rubbed, rather, um, codeine syrup all over it. Pure codeine. I don't know where this guy got this, but it tasted like medicine. It tasted like you were smoking an aspirin. And it was disgusting. But we were also drinking. And we were also smoking ganja. And I remembered he had a bong that he called Mr. Spook. It had a skull in it. And he said that this bong was notorious for catching you off guard. Meaning, like, if you take a little hit, you're going to get a, a lot of ganja in your lungs from a little hit because this thing just burns fast and certain pieces and pipes and you know things you smoke they hit differently what you take in you know one puff on this won't necessarily be the same amount as of smoke as you get in one puff of that okay well we had this really killer shit and uh, we were passing this bong around in, it's called Mr. Spook and I take a giant hit I was like let's get fucked up woohoo and it's so milky white in the glass bong that when I inhale it, it already is basically giving me an asthma attack before I even clear the thing. You know how you pull the, the neck out and you go and you finish it. Okay, well, I couldn't even do that. Immediately, halfway through, I stop and my body's like, whoa, whoa, back up, reverse, fuck this, get rid of that shit. And I spew it all out and it's like a cloud in the room. And immediately I know, you done fucked up. That's the first thing that popped into my head was like, oh no. So I'm in this room full of people and it's my turn to hit the bong and I spit it out prematurely and I'm like immediately I couldn't even breathe. It was so thick, the smoke, that I, I was like, <gasps> like I couldn't breathe and I started to like panic. I'm like, oh no, and I was choking and people are all laughing, you know, they're like, haha, he took too big of a hit. When in reality, looking back, it's like, wow, this, this must have seriously killed some brain cells because I, I couldn't breathe. I could not get enough oxygen in to where I was even able to breathe, let alone let this out. It sounded like I was dying. I was like, <gasps> and then I would start coughing the more I tried to breathe. So I set the bong down and I stumbled it out. And you know, as per, you know, 
the usual. They're like, hey, you got to finish it, pussy. And I'm like, uh, uh, and I stumble outside and I notice nobody followed me. And I'm like, oh, good. They don't know that I'm about to die. I, I really was not prepared for that. And I remember it to this day, even though it was 10 years ago. I, I stumble out and I'm just trying to breathe enough to where I can survive at this point. They say that people have never died from weed. Well, I'm thinking in my mind, this must be as close as you can get to dying from weed. I stumble out and I fall down onto the lawn. And it's about midnight and it's on a Saturday night and it's in a college town that's basically you known for being a party town. So there are people walking by on the sidewalk in front of this dude's house and there are people like stopping and looking at me and they're like, what's wrong with that guy? Oh my gosh, look at him. Should we should we help him? And I'm like, no, no, I, I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to, you know, be the guy that got the, the party busted. I didn't want to have any extra unnecessary attention. Even though I was like, Ben, you're dying. Say yes. Say yes to this help. The other half of me was like, no, it's not worth it. You go down a hero if you die like this. That guy got so fucked up, he died from weed, man. First time in history. I would have been a legend. So what I did was, anybody that stopped to, you know, this went on for many hours. In fact, the sun started to come up. I laid in that lawn until the sun came up. And throughout that time, I got deeper and deeper. It was like eating the most potent edible that you could and doing ayahuasca at the same time as getting drunk at the same time as doing codeine it was the most fucked up i've ever been to this day and i've done a lot of shit the only thing i have not done is inject heroin and i never will otherwise i've done everything you name it i've done it this was the most fucked up i've ever been and it was from codeine weed and alcohol all in the same night and i legit thought i was tripping for sure i was not in reality if anybody like a cop rolled up, I could not have been myself. I was so out of it and so fucked up and just focusing on breathing. I was, in my head, I was like, okay, inhale as far as you can and then exhale. And I did that. It was the longest probably six, seven hours of my life because the sun came up. And I remember thinking, this is hell. This is hell on earth. This is a an image, a uh, sort of a vision of what hell is like. People are coming by and their voices are echoing. It, it was like in a movie when a guy is super fucked up. A couple will walk by and they look down at me and I'm in the grass face down. And I look up and I'm like, uh, uh, and they're going, oh my God, are you okay? And it was like, are you okay? It was super echoey and I just, I was way too fucked up. So don't ever do that. Don't smoke out of <laughs> Mr. Spook. That was scary. I, I know I lost half my brain cells. I used to be a really sharp dude. I used to be articulate. I used to be able to, you know, boom, 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 rapid fire. I was pretty smart. And my test scores in college and, you know, in qualification, you know, uh, what's... Uh, see what I mean? I'm already just fucking fried from all the, the shit. But anyway, like SAT, ACT scores, things like that. I used to be super sharp. Not anymore. Drugs. Yeah. So anyway, that's... That's the story that I'm opening up with, uh, Ben again, episode seven. And on this day, okay, today is Tuesday, February 13th, in case I haven't mentioned that. Who knows? I'm fried. Don't judge me. Anyway, Tuesday, February 13th, 2018. What's going on, Hawaii? And uh, on this day in 1905, Teddy Roosevelt, President Teddy Roosevelt, discusses America's relationship, race problem. And, um, in 1905, I can't even imagine what it was like. You see a black person, you're like, oh my God, get him away. But now, obviously, things are different. There's still racism, but obviously it was it was much different back then. And uh, here's what it says, uh, you know, verbatim. It says, on this day in 1905, President Theodore Roosevelt delivers a stirring speech to the New York City Republican Club. Roosevelt had just won his second re-election, and in this, dis in this speech, he discussed the country's current state of race relations and his plan for improving them. Now, some white dude who rises to power, as with all other presidents at this point in time, obviously had been white, so he's the guy that's all of a sudden going to solve everyone's problems. All the black folk, they was like, yeah, he got our back. Now... I can't tell you what it was like in 1905, but I, I would imagine that him trying to say, yeah, yeah, everybody, I know this has been a problem, but I've got the solutions. Everybody listen to me. And he gives a speech on race relations. 
like he has all the answers. I'm sure all the white people were like, boo, boo. Black guys have big wieners and they're destroying our white women with them. Boo. And then all the black people were like, man, this cracker-ass motherfucker, he ain't got the answers. Man, he don't understand what it's like to be oppressed. <clears throat> I'm sure both sides of the, you know, both teams were in doubt, certainly. And it's 2018. And I don't think, now this is coming from an average white dude in the Midwest of America, who, I mean, I, I've known some black people, but I don't think that I have the position to be able to even cast an opinion on this. I don't think anyone would think, yeah, this guy, he knows it. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to race relations. But let me tell you, I grew up in, obviously, fucking South Dakota and Minnesota, a mostly white family. Um, mostly white family. All white family, although we do have one black guy in our family. Don't know how he got there. Don't know if he's adopted or what, but we do have a black guy with the last name Bransner. Just throwing that out there. A mostly white school, a mostly white town, a mostly white state. And so it, it went pretty much as you would expect. We all uh, we all grew up white, we acted white, we talked white. Hello there, you know, stereotypical white guy. And there is one time in my life where I remember realizing how fucking out of tune with black people I was. In the class of... 220 people, the graduating class that I graduated in, 2007, Brandon, South Dakota, we had two black guys, Dale and Nate, and it was always depressing showering with them after football or after basketball because the stereotypes were absolutely true, motherfuckers be packing, and it was just, it was like white guys cry in the corner like, oh, and black guys are standing there facing the middle of the room, not the wall like the rest of us. And they're just letting their dongs crash into their knees like... Yeah. you. The only two we had. We had Dale and Nate. The only two black guys. And we were like, well, two for two. We lose. Yeah. So that was... I mean, they were, you know, equals to us, as they are. We weren't racist. We were just like, wow. They're athletic as fuck, and they have giant wieners. Stereotypes? They're right. I mean, what what can we say? They are... Numbers one and two in track and field. They are the running back and receiver of our football team. They are the fastest. They are the strongest. I mean, I was pretty fucking strong. I benched over 300 pounds my junior year. But they were stronger. And they weren't bigger. Like, they didn't weigh more. They weren't more muscle-bound. They were stronger. Meaning, in their smaller frames, they were able to lift more and run faster than I was. So that's the extent of what I knew about black people was they're basically superior beings. And Teddy Roosevelt probably realized this too, but goodness gracious, they're, they're just, we're not on their level. And I remember this was the year, my junior year, that Obama was running for president. He was a candidate amongst the rest running for president at that time. And as we know now, he eventually did win. But at this time, he was just a candidate. He was a senator from who knows where the fuck he was a senator from that's not the point he was obama he was articulate he was black and muslim and fucking arabian and chinese and i i made up the chinese part he was just a bunch of shit that was not white so i remember our english teacher mr christensen one of the best teachers slash professors slash leaders and uh he was someone that you looked up to and uh for for the rest of my life i will always have respect for him because you don't get any better as a teacher and representative and idol and someone that you look up to nobody's better than mr c he he's the best if every student had a mr c in their life they would turn out to be amazing crime rate would go down diseases would go down that's how awesome this guy was and i remember him asking the question what will we see first? Will we see a black president or a female president first? And we were all like, black, fuck chicks. They have periods. Once a month, they'll kill a bunch of people. I don't know. We were 17, 18 years old. We didn't know. We were just thinking, yeah, of course Obama will win over Hillary. And I remember watching in, in, in our college-bound English class all of the things all of the uh, the 
what's the what's that called where they run for candidacy they run for president all of their their sort of interviews I can't think of the word right now but essentially every presidential candidate gets five minutes ready set go okay I am Barack Obama I am Hillary Clinton they get they all get to introduce themselves and they get about five minutes where they get to say this is what I'm doing I'm running for president this is why I'm the best candidate they all get five minutes to you know sort of present their case I don't know what that's called there's a word for it well anyway we watched them all in our college-bound English class and I remember thinking well God this guy is black as fuck but he doesn't sound black now in Midwest South Dakota United States where you don't know very many black people in fact you only know a couple all black people to me at the time sounded like yeah get bitches get money motherfucker yeah that's just the stereotypical black voice and don't deny it it's not racist if you were to hear that if you were listening to the radio and you hear yo 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 motherfuckers what's up motherfucking crackers yeah if you hear that you go okay this guy's black even if you don't see him so in my mind there was this this voice that is black only and I remember thinking this guy doesn't sound black he's like hello I am Barack Obama oh uh, let me be clear uh, I think America is not spending enough time saying yes we can there are too many people saying no we can't or I'm not prepared for this and I wasn't born for this but I think more Americans need to say yes we can and they he sounded super white right and to people who have hung around uh, <laughs> more than two black people they're probably thinking okay yeah I've met black people like this nothing new but to me I was like holy shit this guy sounds white and mr. C he's like does anybody have any questions and I'm so ignorant at the time because I'm 17 I uh, raised my hand he's like yeah mr. C always liked me he liked when I would read for the class out of books that we would read he liked you know he just liked me he liked me as a person we were very tight the coolest teacher ever and he just he was awesome well he goes yeah what's up Ben what do you think and I said yeah I have a comment um see Barack Obama he doesn't even sound black he sounds white and he was like whoa 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 what do you mean he sounds white are you saying he sounds educated and I was like I don't know I mean he just, like, if I was listening to him over tape and I had never seen him on the radio or whatever, I would say, okay, that guy's white. If, you know, if I hear some guy that's like, yo, what's up, baby? I got this big old dick. I'd be like, hey, there's a black guy on the radio right now. But this guy, he sounded white. And so I just, I pointed that out. And of course, Dale and Nate were both in my class and they were black and they talked black. You know, they weren't like, hello my name is Dale they were like yo what's up they talked black I don't know if that's like a learned thing if you do it on purpose or if like only real black people talk that way I'm not sure but at the time I was like this guy's black his skin is but his voice is white and mr. C just thought that was so like so weird and then I go to lunch later on that day you know second period so it's early in the morning my English class but I go to lunch which is like fifth or sixth period and then Danny and a couple other guys sit down at the lunch table and they're laughing and they're like we just had English class with Mr. C and they t he talked about you and I said what what do you mean he talked about me and he goes yeah uh, we watched all the presidential you know five-minute speeches where they present their case and the first thing he said was Mr. Bransner seems to think that Obama is educated and sounds white not black what do you guys think about that and I was like what he used me as an example I sound like such a racist prick there taking taking that totally out of context I wasn't saying he sounds educated I, he, those were his words not mine I said he sounds white you know we all have different dialects if some guy walks up and he's like oh a Ben the Bensner a, a so a so big in the pants you'd be like yeah that guy sounds Asian you know if a guy walks up and he's he says hello uh, my name is Ben uh, yeah, yeah. you're like yeah that guy's white and if some guy walks up and he's like yeah motherfuckers need Jesus what's up motherfucker you're like okay that guy's black I was basing it on the dialect not any level of education but mr. C misinterpreted how I was going about this he thought well this little racist motherfucker this ignorant bastard he's thinking well this black guy talks white so he must be saying that he only he sounds educated and that was not at all what I was saying so I remember being there at lunch like what 
he's telling all of his other college-bound English classes the example that he learned from you know the morning class you know the morning class me Ben Branson he's like telling all the classes Mr. Branson seems to think that Obama sounds white because he sounds educated class what do you think about that and I'm like fuck now everybody thinks I'm a racist god damn it son of a bitch so yeah gosh context is very important and in this instance I looked like a huge asshole and I remember Dale and Nate were like gee uh we don't know if we like you anymore. We don't know if you can be part of the black community anymore because of how you disrespected our people. Better call it a popo. Call it a fuzz. I don't know. I did kind of pull them aside, if I remember correctly, after class and be like, you, know, you guys know I didn't mean that, you know, that way. I was just, you know what he fucking sounds like. He doesn't, don't lie. He does not sound fucking black to you. He's not like Eddie Murphy that's walking up and be like, I'm Rick James, bitch. What's up, motherfucker? He, you can't say that he doesn't sound like us. What you mean like us? What you mean, you people? It's like, ah. I was just listening to a George Jones song, and um, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a line in the song where he's talking about how... Uh, uh, straight ahead there's the chair where she would bring the paper to me and he's talking about his wife that eventually did leave him and that's just a sign of the times speaking of 1905 Teddy Roosevelt with race issues talk about gender issues back when there was only two genders and women did they, they felt oppressed and not equal god damn well in that song is like a it's like a time machine you listen to that song from when George Jones was in his prime and you realize women were treated differently back then. Uh, she used to bring the paper to me. Like, really? You sit down in your chair and the woman goes, Here you are, dear. Here's your paper. You try telling that to a woman nowadays and they go, Oh my God, fuck off. Feminist, blah, blah, blah. Well, I understand that women don't need to be treated like that. But if they could, they, you know, you YouTube it. Google it. Feminists, they want men to be gentlemen quote-unquote, like they used to be. And like they used to be, well, um, you don't know if you want that. You might want to check yourself before you wreck yourself. They used to be, and it wasn't because they were consciously or self-conscious, you know, it was it was an accident. It was not on purpose. They were They were misogynistic just by nature because that's how times were. Nowadays, if I were to tell my girlfriend, hey, bitch, I'm sitting in my daddy chair, you bring me the paper. Go get the paper for daddy. She'd be like, motherfucker, fuck you. It's 2018. It doesn't fly anymore the way it did back in George Jones's time. So perspective is really important. Uh, the time we came from, the place we live in, it's all very important and should be taken into consideration when uh, basically discussing anything. Um, I went to the University of South Dakota and I remember a time when people just were not fully prepared to deal with my sense of humor. I'm not a misogynist. I'm not a bigot. I'm not any of those things. I'm very open-minded, actually, compared to the average person. And I, I am fully willing to admit that women are equal, black people are equal, everybody is equal. We're all just different. And different can mean a lot of things, but there is no hatred. There's no negative, you know, coming from my train of thought. It was just... I, I am used to acting a certain way and I get to a place where it's very liberal, a college, you know, college campus, and even more so nowadays than back then, but back then much more than what I was used to. <clears throat> and I remember a, a time when I had to go before the college, the university sort of disciplinary committee, and I had to read off a bunch of statements that were attributed to me. And I was totally not prepared for it and the way that it all went down it just it's something that stuck in my mind and the paper they gave me I actually printed off and had it framed I don't have a college degree but I did have the paper that they printed off for me uh, framed I just I thought this is fucking ridiculous I got a letter from university housing my freshman year where I was already in trouble because I had pissed so many people off with the way I talk and so the backstory, of course, I wouldn't just jump to the beginning and say this is how it was because I realize you need the backstory. The backstory is this. 
on fourth floor Richardson my freshman year, we were jokingly being sexist and misogynistic and uh, racist, and it was all a joke. We weren't serious. We were <laughs> we were making fun of more so. We were we were making light of the fact that people are, uh, you know, sexist, racist, misogynistic bigots. We weren't actually doing that ourselves, but it, it can be interpreted in a way that my friends and I were basically assholes. So <clears throat> I, uh, I would draw dicks. My friends and I would go around every door on the floor, every uh, door that, w that led to a college dorm room, every one of them had a whiteboard on it with a marker. And that was so that you could leave notes for people while they were away or sleeping, and you could do it without bothering them or waking them up. And that's what these were supposed to be used for. So for for a few nights, my friends and I on the floor would get drunk and then just go around and fuck with people's whiteboards. We would go around and write shit like, hey, whoever blew up that fucking bathroom, you stink. We know it was you, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, hey... You have some big titties for the girls that would have big titties and for the guys like hey you have a tiny wiener stuff like that but one night we drew dicks on every single one and if i remember correctly there were 15 rooms on each side so 30 rooms 30 dorms with two people in each that's 60 people and we went around and we drew dicks on every one and that apparently was the last straw i didn't know about this but somebody was fed up that was like okay this ben guy he's a fuck blah, blah, blah. i don't know they really she didn't really like me her name was des she was the ca the leader of the floor who was in charge of shit and the cas were students themselves but they were people who were older and they were supposed to be in charge of the freshmen so one day i get a letter in my student box and it's from university housing and i have a i have it framed here and um what it says is you need to meet with University Housing Committee. There, there's some disciplinary actions we have to go through with you. And I'm like, what? Me? I mean, I'm just doing what everybody else is doing in, on my floor. We're just fucking with each other. But somebody in particular mentioned me and went to the committee about me. So I had to take this letter and I had to go into the uh, disciplinary slash meeting room of the college campus. It's basically like a horseshoe shape desk with um, chairs and then there's a podium up front where there's usually speeches given or things run by the committee and so I show up at, at the time of my appointment and they're like Mr. Brasner and I'm like yo <laughs> I don't know what's going on hey how we doing and they said yeah um go up to the podium please and I'm like oh shit all of a sudden I'm running some sort of meeting and I just thought I was going to get like a pat on the wrist or something for like offending some people. And they're like, yeah, you got that letter. Okay, here's a copy of it just in case. And they said, we would like you to read this whole letter to us. And I was in my head, I'm like, okay, well, you wrote the letter. You know what it says. But then I realized as I'm reading it, cause, because I had not read their copy yet, I had just gotten sort of a summons. And as I'm reading it, I realized why they wanted me to say it. It was basically a review of all of the things that I had, I had allegedly said, all the things that had been attributed to me. And to be fair, I said every single one of them multiple times, as our group of friends did. And so I'm going to read that letter to you. Ahem. Benjamin Brantsner, 409 Richardson Hall, Tuesday, February 5th, 2008. Dear Benjamin, comments and conduct of great concern have come to my attention. While these statements are hearsay, they are very troubling. The following statements were attributed to you by this student, anonymous student, I'm sure it was Des. I'm gonna butter your bread. Now that's a big dick. Nick nicknaming someone on the floor, 14-inch, the guy's first name. So there was a guy on, the on our floor whose name was Paul, Paul Nealon, one of my good friends, you know, from that year on. Um, he was very tall. And so someone that I went to high school with, Zach, nicknamed him 14-inch Paul, inferring that since this guy is six foot five, he must have a 14-inch dick. Zach came up with this nickname, not me, but from that point on, we started calling him 14-inch Paul, and it just kind of stuck. Everyone called him 14-inch Paul. And so that was on there as well. Uh, women belong in the kitchen. Make me a sandwich. And do you want to have butt sex? 
And these are all quotes that are on this official college document, and they, they wanted me to read it in front of them. I have also been informed that after being repeatedly asked not to, that you have drawn pictures of penises on multiple people's door de decorations. Um, so I had to go up in front of the USD Disciplinary Committee and read this, and I did. I read it. I read it all. I read uh, comments and conduct of great concern. You know, I'm going to butter your bread. And I stopped halfway through, and I was like, okay, well, you realize that it's not funny right now because I'm in trouble and I'm saying it up at this podium in front of these people who are mean mugging me and looking at me like I'm trash but you realize this must have been funny in the moment right you know like <laughs> right and they're like yeah no this is bad you're in college it's time to act like an adult and so although I did say all of these things I'm okay imagine you're hanging out with your friends and someone bends over and you go I'm a butt of your bread basically saying I'm gonna fuck you in the butt and you're not really going to. You know, there are certain rapists on the campus, I'm sure, who would actually do that, but not me. And, now that's a big dick. And I would say it like that, too. I would just walk up to some random guy, whether I knew him or not, and I'd be like, you got a big dick. And they'd be, there are various reactions to that. Some that are, like, homophobic and are like, I'll fucking punch you, dude. Don't talk to me like that. And then some realize that I'm just being a douche. You know, I'm being facetious. I'm joking. And they're like, ha, yeah, not, it's not big, just, just so you know. And 14-inch Paul and women belong in the kitchen. Do I really believe that? Of course not. It's taken out of context. If, if I heard somebody just say, ha, women belong in the kitchen. Go make me a sandwich. I would um, automatically assume... Obviously, you're joking. You don't really believe that all women are made for is making sandwiches. But these people were like, this guy, he believes women belong in the kitchen. Fuck this guy. And uh, want to have butt sex? Of course I'm not just walking up to random people and saying, hey, do you want to have butt sex? I'm joking. Goodness. But they didn't take it as a joke. And they said, if this happens again, you will be uh, sort of dismissed from the university. And I was like, oh, shit, this is for real. I was joking, but I guess I'll... Okay, all right, you got me. I'll, I'll be good. And I they also asked me in that meeting, so, like, who else is acting this way? Who else is behaving this way? Because you're the main name that we got, but we got a couple others. And suddenly I have this, this choice. I can name other people who are doing this so that it lessens the sort of weight that was on me, or I can just say fuck you. It's all me. You know, I, I am the one that was causing this. And I really wanted to give some other names because at the time I felt there was a massive injustice in that I was the only one being called to this fucking stupid inconvenient meeting. And there was five or six others that were doing this with me. I just happened to be the leader of the douchebag gang running around drawing dicks on door decorations. So I, I said, no, I, uh, I don't know, man. I, I guess this is just kind of what me and my buddies do. I don't have any names for you. I didn't give anybody up. Felt pretty proud about that because I absolutely could have. But I didn't want anyone else to take that stupid meeting that I had to take. It was like, okay, we're in college, right? Meaning we're young adults, right? Meaning you can grow the fuck up and realize that I'm just being facetious. Do we have to take everything so literal? I obviously don't mean any of this. I don't mean women belong in the kitchen. I don't mean I want to have butt sex with people. Gross. I don't mean any of this. But they they insisted. We have to take things literal because this is, uh, this is dangerous. We could have people that actually mean these things. The only thing I meant was I full-heartedly believe that Paul has a 14-inch dick because when you're that tall, if everything's in, you know, if, if it's remotely in sort of, uh, ratio to his body. He, he must. That was the only thing I meant. The rest was a joke. Anyway, just another time where it was just wrong place, wrong time for me. I seem to catch a lot of shit that isn't my fault in my life, and that was another one of them. I'm going to take a drink of water real quick. Five seconds of silence. It was five seconds of silence. Gosh. Okay. <clears throat> So when I watched, um, let's see, I uh, watched the Shawshank Redemption last night. Uh, Taylor fell asleep, but I watched it all the way through. I, I recommend it. It's one of the greatest movies ever. I was watching it, and even though I've seen it before, every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, yeah, you really get into it. You get hyped. And uh, just just check it out. 
it's the best. I'm going to let my dad borrow it because he bitches about how movies don't keep his attention and TV shows are so fake and dumb and they don't keep his attention. I'm going to give him the Shawshank Redemption and I'm going to say, motherfucker, you going to watch this. And I'm even going to say it like that too because I'm sure if you trace my family back far enough, I am black. So once in a while, I got to talk like I am, right? <clears throat> I started reading... One of my favorite books recently, too, again, I haven't read it since high school, 1984 by George Orwell. Uh, I believe it took place in the 40s, actually, if I remember correctly, and Mr. Orwell anticipated that at the current rate things are going, by the year 1984, uh, the government will have taken full control, humans will have no rights anymore, yada yada. And it's obviously didn't happen by the year 1984, but as times progress, you can tell that things are definitely heading that direction. Um, smart TVs, smartphones, iPads, computers, they have cameras, the microphones, you don't know how often they're on. Siri and Alexa, they're always listening. If you directly address them like, hey Siri, it'll go boop boop, and then you can ask a question, or if you say, hey Alexa, she blinks, you know, she being the robot that is in this machine, it blinks a color and basically it's saying, yeah, go ahead, ask the question. I'm listening. And the thought is, conspiracy theorists will say, uh, just because it doesn't beep or blink doesn't mean it's not listening. These things are basically just, you know, methods that governments can listen in constantly. And it makes sense. It's not necessarily a tinfoil hat thought. If you think about it, having a constant baby monitor in your baby room, whether it's on or not, you can always turn it on and watch slash listen, listen to the baby. I believe that's sort of how this, these technologies work. I believe that if, if the government wanted to, they could turn Siri or Alexa on and listen. You don't have to activate something by saying, hey Siri, beep beep. You don't have to do that. I think it's possible to turn it on from the other side, so to speak, and to just listen in. And why not? Crazier things have happened. There's no tinfoil hat needed for that. But anyway, I uh, there was a line from the book that struck me, and it's related to a podcast or a book or anything that you write down with the intention of reading or having read later on. And so I wrote it in my notes. So... <clears throat> When I record a podcast, like, what's it for? Who is it for? I will listen to it probably once, and that's just to make sure I don't sound like a total moron. Hi, Ben, in the future. I know you're listening to this, checking to make sure you don't sound like a total moron. So anyway, uh, after that, I pretty much never listen to it again. But much like my YouTube videos and Facebook videos, they're forever. They last as long as the site does. They're there. Once you make a fool of yourself, unless you take that video down, you know, it's, it's up. Once you make a video or take a picture once it's on the internet who knows how many people have embedded it or downloaded it or uploaded it or you know imported or exported it you don't know how many copies of things are made so basically once you put something on the internet assume that it's there forever and these podcasts uh right now maybe i i have no idea what the numbers are because i haven't checked them but i don't know 30 50 100 a thousand how many times have people listened to each podcast i don't know but obviously, the more time goes on, that number can only get higher. Only more people can listen. If one person listens to my podcast and he goes, God, that sucks, he can't unlisten. I mean, he can keep listening and go, this guy's not so bad. He, he gets it. Or, you know, he can go, whatever, it's not my thing. That's fine. But only more people can watch slash listen to your content. And uh, I was kind of thinking as I was reading this book, because it's sort of a memoir from the main character, he starts journaling and writing down, like, if he gets caught from the thought police for writing down shit that is anti-government, he's going to be killed, he'll be black-bagged, and he's, he sort of questions himself in the books at some point, why am I doing this? He says, no doubt these entries are an attempt to communicate with the future. He's writing things to, for people in the future to read past the point where he records them, he expects that at some point a person or people will read. He says, these entries are an attempt to communicate with the future. But how could I communicate with the future? That is, in its nature, impossible. 
Meaning, you can't communicate with the future. It goes without saying. If you think about it literally, like, yeah, of course you can't talk with the future, but it's deeper than that. What he's saying is, I, I'm right now. The things that are happening right now, the people in the future won't understand. He says, either the future would resemble the present, in which case nobody would care to listen, or it would be different from the present, from the present and the predicaments that I speak of will be meaningless or misunderstood. And that, after I read that line in the book, you know, I had read 20, 30 pages at this point, but that line stuck out to me. That goes with any form, uh, any, any journaling that you do, writing, vlogging, videos, podcasts. And it sort of made me think, well, that's kind of why I record podcasts. It's sort of a journal entry, like a diary entry. This is what's going on in my life, and I'm putting it into zeros and ones that are translated into a microphone, which is translated into words for you to listen to. But then I think to myself, why would anybody listen? Well, if it's people in the future listening, if the present time that I'm speaking of is anything like the future, they won't care to listen because it's the same as what they're living in. You know, what this guy is saying is nothing new to us. This is the same. We don't need to hear this. And if it's different, they won't understand. So a lot of things maybe can be lost in translation. I'm sure if podcasts existed in 1920, we would have no fucking clue what they were talking about. Even if they put it into the best terms they could they could describe, we, we, we likely wouldn't understand it, you know? And if things had not changed from 1920 until now, we wouldn't listen. We wouldn't have any reason to. So that tells me that only special content is something that will last. Only things that you connect with will last. Because why would you listen to it if, if it's already like what you live in? Why would you pay attention and watch it if it's already something that you, you know, you live in? And if it's something you don't understand, what motivation do you have to understand it? You have to really like the person. If a person in the future listens to this and they go, well, this average white dude from Minnesota, what could he possibly have to offer that would cause me to dedicate one of my, you know, 70 years worth of time to listen to his shit? Well, I, I don't know. I, the, the answer to that, I don't know. It was a really, uh, it struck me, that quote in the book, because it can apply to anybody. There are a billion podcasts ranging from ones that get zero views to ones that get millions of downloads, like Joe Rogan's, and Bill Burr's, and Tom Segura's, and Ari Shafir's, and Duncan, Duncan Trussell's, and Joey Diaz, and Robin Black, and Dan Hardy, and Tyron Woodley. All these podcasts. And when I first started this podcast, I thought, there's, there's, there's a certain way to do it. There's a certain method. There's a certain uh, sort of uh, order that you do things in? I, I don't know. What I, I was thinking I need to do things the right way. But as I listen to various podcasts, as I have over the last, I don't know, six years or so, seven years, I realize there's no right way. There's no one way. Joe does his a certain way. Bill does his a certain way. Duncan, they all ha they're all different, you know, different humans articulating things in a different way. And I realized there's no right way. It's all like flavors of food. You like this, but you don't like that. You know, I'll recommend Rogan's podcast to people who have never listened to podcasts, which I can't even imagine. I've been listening to them since like 2010. His first ones and then everyone afterward. You know, all these other people joining in on podcasts. I've, I'm a veteran of listening to podcasts. Thousands of hours. Not an exaggeration. Many thousands of hours of podcasts that I've listened to and now I've gotten into it myself. And there are some people who have never listened to a podcast. They talk to me like I'm weird. Like I asked my buddy Eric on Facebook Messenger the other day, you ever listen to podcasts? He's like, what? And I went, oh, hell no. So I gave him a list of, uh, a list of podcasts to check out. I can't imagine never having listened to one. It's, it's insane. But what it all comes down to is history is written by the winners. So... If you are, if you have no reach, if nobody gives a fuck what you say, you have no reach and you are not going to go down as one of the winners of history. Uh, history is written by winners. That's it. That's as deep as you need to go. Five words, history is written by winners. 
Think about that. That's pretty cool. Meaning, the only thing that we know about history is what was most popular, what was most important, what was noted at the time as something that needed to be recorded. There are people who had stories to tell, but if nobody gave a fuck about their stories, that story died. That story died when they died, and it was forgotten forever. And there have been billions of people in human history. Pretty cool. When you watch the movie uh, The Pirates of the Caribbean, someone in the movie says, uh, you know, attacks of the Black Pearl. There were no survivors. The Black Pearl would show up and everybody would get murked or killed, and there were no survivors. And then Jack Sparrow, Johnny Depp, says, I wonder who the stories come from then. As if to say, obviously there were survivors. But history is written by the winners. The losers of the war don't get to write down and pass on what happened, and that goes for anything. You can apply that to anything. And since there are probably, I don't know if there's millions, but there are thousands of podcasts at least, it's tough to say whether or not this one would, you know, eventually be considered one that was relatively known. You gotta start somewhere, right? When you start streaming on Twitch as a video game player, you get one to two viewers, but if you keep at it, and you keep at it, soon that turns into eight, and that turns into 30, and then you start getting subscribers and people that are waiting for you because they like your content, and then it's in the hundreds, and then you can turn into Adam Line, the lead RuneScape, which is a video game you may have heard of. He's the lead RuneScape uh, streamer, and he gets 10,000 people. He can be doing the most boring shit and he gets 10,000 people watching him do it. I don't understand it because I don't watch that shit, but I know who he is. He's famous. And the lesson is he started with six viewers. Six people were like, hey, I've heard of this guy. And now he's at 10,000. So the same thing can be applied to podcast. I wish I had more water to drink because I'm sort of getting cotton mouthy. Anyway, I'm going to wrap this podcast up. Uh, I have so much shit that I could go with, but um, I'm going to wrap it up with one story. And um, the story is called Dodgeball with Miss Hunt. My senior year, our gym teacher, Miss Hunt, she was a lesbian. And, you know, when you're 17 years old, that's fucking hilarious. You're like, this chick munches carpet. (laughs) But she had a girlfriend. She wasn't married. I don't even know if marriage was legal at the time, but Miss Hunt, total bitch. And we always thought, yeah, she likes being a gym teacher because, you know, she likes watching these girls get down to their skivvies and, you know, their gym clothes. And um, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. Like, it's weird to think of gay or lesbians being pedophiles. You always, when you think of pedophile, you think of that creepy white dude who's trying to hook up with a 13-year-old girl. You don't really think of, like, gay people. You don't think of a a lesbian gym teacher that's looking at 17-year-old girls, you know. But, you know, who knows, whatever. Uh, They say that those who can't work teach, and those who can't teach, teach gym. I don't know. It's kind of a funny phrase, but I think it would be awesome being a gym teacher. Every day of your life... Your work is to say, okay, run two laps, do some jumping jacks, and then we're going to play dodgeball. (laughs) Imagine if that was your job. That'd be fucking amazing. You get a teacher's salary, and you don't have to do shit but blow a whistle. On my whistle, you run three laps. Ready, go. And then you just, you know, check out the, the, if you're a lesbian pedophile like she may or may not have been, you just check out the hot chicks. I don't know. Sounds like a dream job to me. Well, anyway, our senior year, um... She was busting people with their cell phones and, you know, at that point in time, I don't know how things are, but in school at that point in time, if you got caught checking your cell phone in class, the teacher was allowed to confiscate it. And I remember one time I brought with me to school an old cell phone. It no longer had service. It was my previous phone. I no longer needed it. So I kept that in my pocket for like a week straight because... I wanted to, if necessary, say if I got caught with my phone, I would quickly put that phone in my pocket and then pull out the old one, the one that I didn't give a shit about. And it never never paid off until one day, late in my senior year. It paid off. And uh, I was on my phone 
and I was, you know, you occasionally look up to make sure that no teacher is catching you, and it's still within school hours. the The bell doesn't ring till three o one p.m., and it was like fucking two fifty five. We had just switched out of our gym clothes back into our normal clothes, and I'm standing there by the door waiting for the bell to ring, and I'm on my phone checking whatever Facebook I'm sure, and I hear Mr. Bransner, and I look up and it's Miss Hunt, the lesbian gym teacher. She's like, "I'll be taking that phone." And I was like, oh, shit, because I totally was caught off guard. I wasn't ready for this. So I dipped into the boys' locker room, and I put my phone in my pocket, and I pulled out my other phone, the one that was the, the dummy phone, the fake one. And I just hold it in my hand, and I know she's coming in after me. I'm waiting. So I wait, like, right in the locker room. And she opens the door. She comes in right after me. She doesn't check to make sure boys are changing. Not that she's interested in seeing a dick. She's a lesbian. But she just fucking pushes open that door. She's like, hey, I'll be taking that phone. And I was like, oh, you got me, son of a bitch. And I gave her the fake old phone that I don't even know if it had enough battery life to turn on. It was just my dummy. And she confiscated it. And I never went back for that phone. You'd have to, you know, as protocol goes, you have to have your parents go pick up your cell phone. It was part of the disciplinary action that if you get caught with your phone, you get your parents have to come in and pick it up, and they sign this form saying, yeah, my kid's a dumbass. He got caught with his phone. I just never went back and got it. I was like, you dumb motherfuckers. You can have it. Such a stupid rule. It's, I understand if you're in the middle of science class and you're doing a test and you're on your phone, that's, that's bullshit. Get off your phone. Do your test. Education is important. But I was almost, it was like five minutes until the bell rang in gym class. I wasn't going to give her my fucking phone. So I'm sure she was like, I got a phone. Well, anyway, at the, on the last day of gym class, we didn't have to do shit. We didn't have to jumping jacks. We didn't have to do uh, running laps, sit-ups. We didn't have to do our usual whatever. The day was just dodgeball the entire day. And so we go down into the backup gym, which is this old, you know, old school gym, not the one where you'd have varsity basketball games and whatnot, but just this old practice gym. There are no bleachers. It's just a small little area and it's dodgeball. And it's, uh, she just picked the team. She was like, you guys over there, you guys over there. And basically it was just high school dodgeball. Uh, the dudes dominating, the girls can't catch or throw quite, you know, or move as well as the guys because unfortunately they're not on our level physically as much as we like to say that men and women are equals well maybe emotionally maybe mentally but not physically let's let's be real here they were getting fucking owned it was basically at the end of every game guy versus guy so the bell you know the 10 minute bell rings which is the bell saying okay class is almost over start wrapping your shit up that's the bell that rings 10 minutes before the real bell meaning go to your next class or since you know, in this case, gym was my last class of the day. Gym uh, is over. The day is over. It's 3.01. Go home. Anyway, the 10-minute bell rings, and we were like, fuck. So then we round up all the balls. There's a majority of the class goes and stands near the door with Miss Hunt. And then there's a few of us that are gathering up all the other balls that were all over the place. And we had to put them in these sort of like potato skin bags and bring them up. That was the end of gym class. Well... I don't know what I don't know what I don't know what possessed me I don't know what it was but it's such a funny thing to think about in the past because what I did was I went into the corner and grabbed one ball there was there was not many to grab and I was like yeah I'll grab that last one whatever and then I got the ball in my hand and I'm still in dodgeball mode you know testosterone's flowing blood's pumping and I'm like I'm just going to chuck this ball as hard as I can. And this was one of the harder ones. I'm going to chuck this ball as hard as I can into that group of people. Someone's getting hit, you know, and it's going to be hilarious. It's the last day of gym class for that year, you know, so I'm going to be a senior next year. This is my junior year, I believe. And I just, I wind up and I throw this ball as hard as I can. I don't know if it went a million miles per hour. It might have broke the sound barrier. I don't know, I threw it just super hard. And I I see it heading towards the group, and on the left of the group is Miss Hunt, the gym teacher. And the ball starts to like turn or hook. And I know this happened all in like two seconds. I realize that because that's how reality is. The ball goes, boom, and it hits. Okay, well, 
since I had just done this, it's almost like I could see it in slow motion. Imagine that just for a second, because it's nerve-wracking. I just chuck this fucking hard ball that's like the size of my head into a group of people. I don't know who it's going to hit, if it's going to hit anyone, where it's going to hit them. I don't know. I just threw it as hard as I could. And it was like, just a, just a zoomer. And it like curves like a curveball and smokes Miss Hunt in the face and knocks her glasses off. Boom! Just hard. And it was a hard ball too. It hits her so hard, it, boom, it like knocks her head and her glasses go flying, flying. And then the room just gets quiet and I hear, oh. And the whole group of people look over at me and I'm the only person over there at this point. And immediately I have like a miniature panic attack. Like, is she okay? Did I just hurt a teacher? What the fuck? And everybody's looking at me. And I start to feel like I'm having an anxiety attack. And I start walking away. And I just put my head down and start walking away. And Miss Hunt yells, Brad Bratzner! And I was like, yeah! She's like, get your ass over here! And I had never heard her swear. I mean, ass is a swear word, technically. And I was like, it wasn't me! That was, the, that was what came out of my mind. That's what came out of my mouth. I wasn't ready for that moment. And I've seen some shit. But I, at this point in time, was not ready for that result to happen. I expected it to hit somebody in the back or the butt. But it was this hard fucking ball that was a, a major league fastball. Probably the fastest I've ever thrown a ball. And it just goes boom! And you can hear it. And it just nails the gym teacher in the face, who's this short little lesbian. Knocks her glasses off. She's got a big red face, like swollen, welty. And she's like, get your ass over here. And she's like, what the hell were you thinking? And I was like, uh, wasn't me, even though it was obviously me. There was nobody around there for me to say it wasn't me. Just made me look like a dumbass. Of course it was me. Everyone was like, oh, and they all look at me. And I've got like 20 people looking at me. And uh, since it was the last day of school, I couldn't get detention or whatever, but I did end up going to the superintendent uh, and having to talk with him. Uh, that's a step above the principal. It goes teacher, principal, superintendent. And this guy was a really nice, chill guy. Our teacher, was, or our teacher, our principal was a douchebag, and he was like a, he was an asshole. But our superintendent was really laid back, and I remember it being not near as bad as I thought it was going to be. He was like, yeah, have a good summer. And I was like, yeah, whew, god damn. But that was scary. That was, <laughs> that's just my luck, you know. Out of all the people's faces it could have hit, it hit the, the teacher, and it was hard. I hurt her. I know I did. <laughs> it felt bad. Super scary. And, uh, well, I'd like to keep going, but it's been an hour and seven minutes. So, as, you know, as usual, I'll, uh, I'll wrap this podcast up, and we'll pick up where we left off uh, with my life in the next episode. So... I hate you all. Have a good one. Talk to you later.